Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like giving up, throwing the towel and just leaving, moving on? Like you just don't see the outcome you're desiring ever turning out to be positive. Maybe it's with a health issue or fitness. Maybe it's with your marriage. Maybe it's with resolving that issue in your family. Maybe it's overcoming an addiction. Or maybe it's your faith growth of consistently choosing to do things God's ways versus your own. Maybe it's praying for your child to change or to come back to faith. Maybe it's even like having your family, uh, well, well, having your family while also trying to pursue the things that you're desiring. Maybe it's making your financial situation better. You've looked into help, you've prayed, you've, you've sought experts, but it just hasn't gotten better. You're losing the desire to continue on, and you're just tired. You're tired. If you identify with maybe one of those statements, today's message is for you. Today what we're doing is we're talking about perseverance or being a finisher, even when we don't feel like it or don't want to or we feel we can't keep going. I get this is a pretty dark start to the message. You might be like, Aaron, this is kind of dark. So I want to change the mood a little bit to get us going by asking the question, is anyone here really good at starting something, yet finishing is another story, right? I'm amazing at starting, finishing not so much. Who's with me? Anybody with me on that? Okay, uh, I'm less than amazing at, at finishing. Like I can get excited about a lot of things. It starts like that house project, right? Like at, at our first house, my wife and I were living there, I threw the demo hammer in, boom, in one of the walls, and I did this to this, the bathroom that we've been talking about for like months. We're going to redo this bathroom. It's going to be great. And like we talked about it, talked about it, talked about it, and then like my wife was at work, and I just started ripping walls. Ripping walls out, my wife got home, and she's like, what the? Something kind of like this. This isn't it, but it's something kind of like this. What? It was the first year of our marriage. I was learning. I was learning on that journey. But I, I was excited about the end goal, the end product, the finished bathroom. And it took forever. There were so many drywall spots that needed to be done. And in my mind, the drywall looked like this. Like I just need the mud and tape like nonstop. And if you know nothing about drywall, that's a lot of dust. That's a lot of dust that's going to come from that. Now, I lost motivation to finishing that, pro that project. And it took months. Maybe for you, you don't do projects like that. But for you, maybe it's with organizing the garage or the kitchen or the tools or the hobby room. And you get like close, you pull everything out 75% of the way done and then just stop. And it makes things worse. Maybe for you, it's with a TV series. You start it and you just can't finish it. Maybe it's a class or a program. You can't finish it. Maybe it's with reading the Bible even. Like you start out so strong, you're, you're consistent daily and it gets kind of hard, and then you hit another genealogy, and you're like, come on, God, really? It's like we can start things so strong, yet finishing is something many of us struggle with. I don't think anyone actually ever plans for the struggle, right? Or the lack of desire to finish, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing for a lot of us, for real. No one gets married planning to throw the towel in or feel that they want to throw the towel in. No one starts organizing just to leave it more unorganized. No one has a child expecting to feel distant from them. No one starts following God expecting to go back to their old ways. It happens, though. It happens, and we, if we're honest, 
it seems some people finish and some don't. Some finish well and some do not. Which type of person are you? Which type of person are you? I don't know about you, but I want to be one who finishes what I start. I'm guessing you do too. Today we're ending our series called It's Decided, and we've addressed the fact that we're just bad decision makers. We are. We tend to be, especially when we're worn out from trying for so long. Fortunately, a Christian person is never defined by the quality of their decisions, but a Christian is defined purely by their relationship with Jesus and the acceptance of his gift and his forgiveness. But when a Christian has a real response to that gift of grace, they typically start to notice we make poor choices. We make bad decisions that are counter to God and his teaching and direction. So in response to that, we should be moved to make life changes. And if today we are ones that have truly had a change and an encounter with God's grace, we should want to be obedient to him. We can't leave our decision making up to how we feel in the moment, especially when we're in the moment and we feel like we're about to throw the towel in. So what we've been doing through this whole series is we've been declaring what God values as seen in the Bible that we can say, it's thought out for me. It's planned. It's decided for me ahead of time to act a particular way when a circumstance arises. And through this series, we've been committing to and saying, I am ready. I'm consistent. I'm generous. I'm faithful. I'm a finisher. I am loving. Now, we've done this for six weeks. I get this is kind of a churchy thing I'm going to make you do, but I want you to say it with me for a second. We've done it all six weeks. We've stated these things. We've studied these things. So would you just say them with me? So how about, I am ready. I am consistent. I am generous. I am faithful. I am a finisher. I am loving. And we're declaring these things because Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Today we're committing to being a finisher to God. Yet just because we commit to that or think it, doesn't mean it actually happens, right? Doesn't mean we're going like, to, like, we won't stray away from it. I mean, you could relate, right? Like, maybe you've been open to God's ways before. You're pursuing Him, but you just get to a spot where you feel you can't go any further, especially in what He wants when it comes to dating or marriage or money or parenting or your character or your choices. It's not that you don't believe in God. You just, it feels too hard. It feels like you can't keep going. Yet some people finish at this. Some do not. Some people are consistent, but they're not only that, they push until the end. Can you picture someone who does that well in your mind? Whether it's with their faith, their marriage, their relationships, their parenting, their habits. We tend to have people like this in our lives and admire them from afar. Like, wow, go you, you're awesome. But have you really ever asked, like, how are they doing it? How are they different? And what I want to say is different about them is their grit. They're grit. There's a newer book out that's called Grit, and it's by Angela Duckworth that I read uh, this week to kind of reference this, this topic for this message. And the author, she did some research on grit. Now, before we really get into kind of some of what she said and what the scripture says about this, what is grit, you might ask? Well, the definition is this, small, loose particles of stone or sand. Not that one. Uh, it's the second one. It's courage and resolve, strength of character. It's the power to persevere when things get tough. Angela, she, the author of this book, she states when people are, when you're trying to decide if they have grit or not, a difference that can help you pinpoint who has grit and not is this. Enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. It's so true, right? We can be enthusiastic about something, especially in the beginning, but to persevere, 
to stick with things, to endure, is quite rare. Do you have enthusiasm or do you have endurance? For example, for you, you're a healthy person, you're making healthy choices, but then you get the bad health news. Will you persevere on? You're a parent, you're teaching your kids like skills and discipline and routine, but they're kind of turning into little brats. And it's taken a long time and it's over and over again and the training is miserable. I'm going a little bit on about this one because this is maybe one that I'm dealing with at home. And you're just like exhausted. But will you persevere on? You're married and you love your spouse. You got a routine down. But then something happens that you weren't expecting. Or you discover something about them that you just don't love. Will you persevere on? You're a faithful person pursuing growth in God. And you saw growth early on, but now not so much. You're occasionally praying, reading the Bible, maybe attending church every now and then, but nothing changes. Will you persevere on? As we sit in this tension, I want to point us to a passage in the Bible that addresses this endurance that we need. And it's addressed really well in 2 Timothy. That's where we're going to look today. And it's a letter Paul, uh, he's a writer of a lot of the New Testament. He writes to his successor, Timothy. But it's this letter of tough circumstances. Paul is one who has been beaten, he's been in prison, he's been shipwrecked, he's been slashed, robbed, on and on and on. Just horrible stuff. And he's persevered through this all because he's one who is on a mission to share who Jesus is And before this letter, what he does is he actually is telling Timothy to fight the good fight for the true faith. This is the first letter he writes to Timothy. Fight the good fight for true faith. And Paul has certainly done that. We can see that in his lifestyle. He's persevered through it all. But then in his second letter to Timothy, he's thinking his journey is going to come to an end. He thinks it's about done. He's expecting to actually get executed for his faith by the Roman Empire, uh, Emperor Nero. And he gives Timothy kind of the last words of encouragement. I'm going to read it for you. It's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. It says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So Paul's, he's really feeling, I'm on my last leg. I'm, a, I'm about to die. But we can see he's still persevering. Even still, by him continuing to write and teach to tell Timothy to encourage him. It says this then, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So he's saying, Teach what is true. Don't change it to accommodate the people you're with. Teach what is true. But then hear this, he says. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. As in, keep a level mind in all situations. And keep going. It says this next. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, for, and the time for my departure is near. This is kind of, I think, Paul's fancy way of saying his life is about to end. He's, his life has been a sacrifice for Jesus, for God. But this end is the most important part. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So Paul, what he's doing is he's encouraging Timothy to persevere in the faith. Keep going as he has persevered in the faith. 
we can see Paul has grit. He has grit. And he wants to help Timothy acquire grit. Which to me, when I read this and reflect on this, I like seeing this because it shows me through Scripture that grit is something that, it's not something you're born with. It's something that you can acquire and work towards. It's not just for the elite or the special, but we can get grit. It's something we can strive for. So looking at this passage, what does it tell us about becoming a finisher and being a gritty person? How can it get us closer to saying, I am a finisher? And I think there's a few things Paul does and points out in this passage that will direct us. The first is this. Have someone who helps you keep focus on the goal. In this situation, Paul is that person to Timothy, right? He's a coach, he's a teacher, he's a mentor, helping Timothy not just do what's right, but encouraging to keep his eyes on the goal. Have you ever, like, lost steam with something before? Like, lost motivation because no one really held you accountable for things. Maybe, maybe you were alone and no one was really teaching you or coaching you correctly on things. One of the things that sticks out to me personally and in honor of this weekend is actually deer hunting, uh, gun hunting. I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert hunter, but I do hunt. Um, and I've had this enthusiasm for it, but it's kind of waffled over time. Uh, for me, my relationship with deer hunting, I was really good at starting with it. When I first started into it, I bought all the stuff. Beef sticks, chips, drinks, cool cooler, camel, warm gear, blaze orange, a license. Oh yeah, I needed a gun too, but I didn't have one, so I borrowed one. But I started out so strong, like I was so excited in college, and I'm like, let's go, hunting. It was awesome. So I'd hunt in Adams County, in my grandpa's wooded 40 acres that he had. And uh, in my 10 plus years of uh, buying hunting license to hunt on his land, I've yet to get a deer there. <laughs> there actually hasn't even been a deer harvested on his land for like 25 some years. There's evidence of deer. We just don't kill them. We're bad hunters. But I have had this excitement to do this Wisconsin thing for those 10 years or so as, as no one else in my family hunts. So I had to look to my best coach, best teacher in this, which was my grandpa. So I did the strategies my grandpa did and who took me hunting over those years. So his strategies were these. We'd sit together and whisper and for a lack of a better way of calling it, like nonsensical joking talk with my grandpa and I. And I'm like, are you sure talking is the best? In his mind, talking was good. It was fine. So I listened and I participated. He taught me, bring chocolate bars with you. Like, you're going to get cold. You need a little something in your belly. Like, it's going to be a good little break for you. I'm like, I love chocolate. I'm all for that. So I've got a lot of wrappers, a lot of chocolate in my pockets. Uh, he taught me, bring, bring coffee. That's fine. Bring a thermos. Yeah, why not? You're going to be out there for a long time. It'll help keep you warm. He said, if you have to go to the bathroom, just pee out the stand. It's no big deal. Like, that's just what you do. Maybe that's TMI for you, but that's just that's what he coached me on. And then when you get cold, you just move a bit. Maybe you got to walk around. Get out of the stand, walk around for a little bit. Just move. Warm your body up. So I did these things for years, and I saw zero deer. Right? <laughs> now, I love my grandpa. I love him. And in his prime, he got deer. He did. He got many deer. But you want to know how many deer my grandfather's gotten in the last 30 years? Zero. Zero deer. I was taking advice about persevering in the cold woods and getting a deer and staying out in the stand from the wrong source or coach. In the last couple of years, 
that voice is going to kind of change. It's now my, I now go to Sydney's dad, my wife's dad, uh, who's been hunting for a lot of years, and now he's more my coach, and he says some things differently than what my grandpa did. Take nothing with you, is what he says. Pee ahead of time. If you get cold, suck it up, freeze your butt off, because it's worth it. Shut your mouth. Sit sun up to sun down. And oh, you start feeling cold? Don't be a wuss. That's basically what he says. Want to know how many deer he gets each year? Lots. Lots of deer. He's always getting a big deer. And big ones, right? Like he gets big deer like that. Now, a little tangent about this, like, I've seen this picture before, like pictures like this, especially in the last weekend. Like people are, people are getting deer, but they do this pose. And I'm like, I don't know if it's just I'm jealous about it. Like I really would like a buck one day. So I've like thought about that pose. Like, I mean, it's like, this is kind of romantic. It's kind of sensual. Like what? Really? It makes me think of George Costanza. Like Really? Now, I'm being silly on this last part, but I tell you all this because as I'm learning from him, and well, I still haven't gotten a buck, I got a deer through my father-in-law because of him, and I'm getting closer and closer to more. Going days or years without anything or seeing anything even is defeating, but he helps me see the goal. Now, this is me with hunting, but who is that for you in more serious areas of life? Who's your mentor in marriage helping you see the goal of being happy and together with your spouse? The guys at the bar, the ones that are out every night in a league, the ones that are working the late shift all the time, the, the woman that likes to talk bad about her husband is not the right person. We all know those people. And it's not that you can't be friends with them. They just shouldn't be your mentor. We all have that not-so-encouraging person in different areas of life. Like in faith, that person who's kind of sporadic in prayer, maybe reads their Bible once in a while, attends church every so-and-so, and they, they want to have like a voice into how our faith should be. Is that right? I don't think so. And parenting, like that person that doesn't align with what you want for your kids, but they tell you, ah, what you're doing is fine. Is that right? Your drive for life. Like that person that's super nice, they're super nice to you, but tells you just to take it easy when you're pursuing your goals. Is that right? To have that person be your mentor? Your financial situation, that person that says, just don't be so uptight, don't be so uptight, just spend a little. Is that right to have that person as your mentor? We can usually find someone who just tells us to chill out or what we, they tell us what we want to hear even. They're pretty easy to find those people. But who is the positive one for you? Who is the faith-filled person who has the grit to stick it out for themselves and can keep you accountable on your goal? Don't have one? You need one. You need one. Who could that be for you? One misconception people have is they think a person needs to have done it perfectly or have the most skilled or talented person in a particular area as their mentor. That is not true. Actually, Angela, in her book, the, the Grip book, she saw that talent and skill don't necessarily make someone great. It doesn't necessarily make someone successful or persevere or stick it out to the end. It helps, but it's not what it's all about. She actually saw that effort, effort with talent, effort with skill, brings achievement and desired outcome. 
What this shows is effort is used twice in the, in, the, in the equation of trying to pursue something or stick something out in growth or in trying to get the outcome you're desiring. A gritty person is one who has some talent, some skill, but ultimately has effort, as in put effort in the trying to keep things going strongly. Who's someone for you that's gritty in their effort and have some success that can guide you? Let me give you three quick pointers on choosing the person uh, that maybe is best for you based off of what Paul advises in 2 Timothy. Your person should be one who is honest and will tell you how it is. In, in that passage, it says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Don't have it be someone who just tells you what you want to hear. Have it be someone that's telling you truth, that's going to correct you. Second thing, one who has the same values as you. Paul and Timothy, they had the same values. It says this in verse 5, But you, do the work of an evangelist, someone who shares the faith about things. Discharge all duties of your ministry. Paul is saying, don't just do what others want, but do the work we've been called to do, is what Paul's saying. You and me, Timothy, we've been called to do this. Let's do it properly. Let's stay the course. And then the third thing, one who's vulnerable that you can see and learn from in their life. Paul's raw. He tells Timothy, it's going to be tough. You got difficulties coming ahead, but he's experienced it and he's encouraging him. To be a finisher, to get through tough stuff, you need someone to guide you. Again, who could that be for you? Is it someone maybe in your life group? Is it someone at church? Is it someone at work? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Who's that person for you? The second thing that we can see in 2 Timothy and kind of what that goes along with this concept of grit is grit comes with a mindset change. Have you ever realized that you as an individual, you kind of go through like moods about certain things, like stages, like you're like excited and then like not so excited and then maybe you're like excited again, but like it kind of just, it fluctuates, it changes all the time. It actually makes me think of those stages videos that comedians do uh, and since it's hunting weekend, I got another hunting video, but it talks about the motivation of a hunter or at least a typical hunter. Check it out. Yeah, I'm getting hot. We got to get out there. Good luck today. You're going to need it. I'll, uh, I'll see you out there. Okay. Where are they at? Where are they at? What was that? What's that? <sighs> Squirrel. The wind blowing the leaves. Woodpecker. What? Deer aren't even in trees. Why am I even getting startled by something in a tree? I wonder what my third grade teacher is up to. I wonder what Miss Johnson's been doing lately. Oh, his beard itches so much. How'd you guys do? Ah, you got a big buck? Yeah, I don't know, it was weird. I didn't see anything come by the stand today. So. Maybe you should have brought your gun. <laughs> when the mindset is on you and your emotions, your feelings in a particular moment, they do, it does that, right? It's up, it's down. And you cave sometimes. You cave. Even the most gritty people do. Angela Duckworth, she found that people who are motivated by pleasure versus a purpose 
underperform in their perseverance or grit. Uh, she saw that people that have a purpose tend to be grittier, tend to last longer than people who are doing things just for pleasure. So for you, do you need to change your mindset to have it be more for purpose versus pleasure? So instead, shift your mind to see that you are living for God, not for you. Paul does this, and he uses an analogy of running a race. He says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He says he runs or lives for God, not himself. In Acts, Paul is actually quoted again, saying it even more clearly. He says this uh, in verse 24. He says, however, I consider my, my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Let's just look at this for a second. See, looking at this passage, he considers his life worth nothing. Now, I believe this is a bit hyperbole, a bit dramatic of a talk. Having self-confidence and self-esteem is a, a decent thing. We've seen that work in the world. But we do know when life is just about you, for yourself, you lose steam. You do. You lose steam. So Paul says he lives his life for God. That's what motivates him to get to the end. Living for something beyond yourself, it's actually a, quite a common thing. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the clips of indiv individuals who are maybe going to prison or, or dealing with an addiction or just going through like tough stuff. They say things like, I'm moving forward for my kids. I'm doing this for my kids. I'm going to get through this for my kids. Or another example of this is people, people who are completely down on life. Others try to show them and help them realize that their life can have an impact on others. These examples, they're both motivating, but they're also true. They're true. It motivates people beyond just themselves to maybe work hard, get out of jail, get clean, keep living, keep going. Many people have had that mindset, and it's great and motivating for you and me even to do in our own life. But what if it wasn't just live for others? What if it was also live for God? As a Christian, your life is a calling. It has a purpose. There's a quote in Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. She says this, I won't just have a job. I'll have a calling. I'll challenge myself every day. When I get knocked down, I'll get back up. I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I'll strive to be the grittiest. It's something I personally, I strive to do as well. I have a calling to keep going for God. Even when I get knocked down, I'm set to be the grittiest person. And the main reason I have that grit is I'm doing it for God. That's where my mindset is set. I think I'm a pretty gritty person, but if I'm a bit real with you about some of the other things in my life, I want to get real with you for a second here. I'm, I'm in my 30s right now, and I feel like I got like a lot of like big life things kind of thrown at me, so to speak. Maybe it's just the life stage I'm in and I feel like that's what's hitting, but I feel like there's just a lot of things that I'm trying to make happen as best as I possibly can. And I go through these moments where life is just a lot and I don't know where to go next. Kids, chores, house, money, work, marriage, health, bills, fun, pets, faith, growth, maintenance, insurance, vacations, decisions, car repair, meetings, reconciling relationships, fitness, trying to get enough sleep, buying groceries. It's just a lot and overwhelming and exhausting sometimes. I, I'm guessing some of you can relate, but to be honest, I go through moments where I feel like I kind of want to throw the towel in. 
Not that I want to end my life or anything like that, but sometimes I just want to go into autopilot mode in my marriage and not fight for it. Sometimes I just want to let my kid watch TV for four hours straight because I'm tired. Sometimes I want to just go on a spending spree instead of stick to the budget I have set. Sometimes I just want to do what I want first instead of looking to what God wants first. These are all very real struggles and things for me. But when I have my mindset on not just living for me, not just for others, but for God and for others to see him through my grit in my marriage, in my parenting, in my spending, in my faith, I'm motivated. I have a motivation. I'm set to be a finisher for him, for his purposes. Have you ever had God be your motivation before? If not, I want to give you an opportunity to do that if you've never said that to him because it's this freeing motivation. It's a free motivation as well that gives you drive without guilt because God knows you're going to fail at times. He knows you are, but he will always want you to run for him no matter how many times you've fallen in the past. When you choose to be a follower of God, as in you accept the gift of grace and forgiveness and then choose to live for Jesus, God tells us he has a purpose for us in Scripture. You could have messed up a gazillion times in the past, even in the future, committed huge letdowns for yourself, God, and others. But God says when you realize you need his forgiveness because being gritty on your own is not going to be enough, Scripture tells us he has a solution for us. Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is an eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus took the consequences for our mistakes, our letdowns, and says in Romans 10, 13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that saving is from death forever at the end of our life to having a life in heaven with God. But it's also saving from the life of hurt and pain and struggle of trying to figure out what we should do while we're here on earth and actually following Christ and having some of that relief that comes with that. If you've never accepted that gift from God and the motivation of living for something beyond yourself or beyond another human, know it's available to you. I don't normally do this during the middle of the service or towards the end of the service, but I feel someone here maybe wants to say that. Maybe wants God to be their motivation. For the first time, you've never actually said, God, I want you to be the one that I'm motivated for. So I'm going to pray, and you can say that to God. I I want to follow you, God. I want you to be my motivation. And then if you've done that before, you can just kind of close your your eyes and, and pray with us and pray for maybe that person that's dealing with that. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us a clear example that you can be our motivator. Living a life for you is a huge motivation. It helps us persevere. So God, some of us right now are saying, God, we we want you to be our motivation. We want to live a life for you. Have us have purpose for you. We accept your gift. We accept your grace. But we want to be a follower of you and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you just prayed that and had a mindset shift of living for God, I'm super excited for you. I really am. I'm super excited for you. you. You're now a follower of God, living for him. But this now brings us back kind of full circle to where we started today's message. How do we make sure we continue to make decisions of being a finisher, to be gritty, especially in the tempting moments where we feel we want to throw the towel in or we're just complete failures, we feel. Which leads to the last thing that I think you can see in 2 Timothy. To be a gritty person, to be a finisher, you just got to take the next step. You just got to take the next step. Take the next step. When you are pursuing the things God desires, you have to acknowledge it's not easy, but that he started something in you 
So take the next step. You might not be close to the end yet. You might be, not, might be even close to the finish. Not even close. You might be a few steps back from where you even started. But you must take the next step to get closer to the end. Angel Duckworth in Grit, she says this, I learned a lesson I'd never forget. The lesson was that when you have setbacks and failures, you can't overreact to them. When something happens, don't overreact. Just take the next step. Paul says to Timothy, but you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Don't beat yourself up. Don't lose it, but keep going. As I was thinking of this, it kind of made me think of video games for some reason. Any big gamers here? Where are my gamers? Oh, a few? Okay, a few gamers. Oh, great. In most games, video games, there's levels that you have to get past, and you have to get past the level, and a lot of times at the end of the level, there's a boss you have to fight. Like, maybe for you, that boss was like Bowser or something like that. Maybe it's Mrs. Pac-Man, like the ghosts in there. Maybe it was the hunters in Halo. Or maybe, maybe it was you were the villain or the person that had to get past yourself in Snake with a Nokia phone. Like, you're the one that messed up and stopped the things. But you play, you smash buttons, you get so close, and then you get this sound like, game over, right? You're like, almost there, no! And then you start over. And you keep doing it until you finish. But in order to finish the game, you have to take consistent next steps. Start over, try again, stay at it, and keep going. Some of you are like, sometimes you get stuck on a level. <laughs> like, you don't get past the next level. Is maybe where you're thinking. So I want to move away from the gaming analogy. Because when you are with God and have decided to follow him, it's decided that you will be a finisher. Sure, you might have to restart or, or do a level again. But if you allow God to speak to you, to guide you, to help you, to motivate you, he will help you carry it to completion. Check out what Paul says in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will help you carry it to completion. As a Christian, you just got to take the next step. You got to be the one that continues to show up and continues to put effort in. You don't have to finish today. It's just one more step. So what's your next step? As a church, our mission is to help you take your next step. We, we want to help point you to that next step. Whatever that is for you, it's different for all, a lot of us. On our website, you can see actually like uh, our, our, our mission statement. We're all about helping you take your next step. Finish, what is that next step for you? I want you just to think for a second. For you, maybe, maybe it's finishing your marriage well for God. But starting with the step of maybe just asking for forgiveness or having a conversation with your spouse. Maybe for you, it's finishing your parenting well for God. But starting with a step of giving your child undistracted time without your phone. Maybe it's finishing your financial situation well for God. But starting with a step of obedience to not splurge or to combat debt in one area. Maybe it's finishing with an honorable character trait for God. Like, but starting with just one area. Forgiveness, grace, self-control. What's your next step to help you finish well for God? As I wrap up today, are you set to be a finisher? Do you have someone who helps you keep focus of the goal? Are you living for God and not yourself? And will you take your next step? 
I'm going to pray that we act on one of these this week, that we can say, it's decided, I will finish the race of life. And we can be like Paul, who isn't just encouraging people to fight the good fight, 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight for the true faith, but we can be like what Paul says in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. If you want that prompt to help you take that next step, and you want God to prompt you in that this week, you can pray with me right now, and I'm going to ask God to help us with that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us an example of how we can persevere, how we can finish. God, we've talked about these different ways that we see Paul and Timothy. They finish strong. They persevere for you. And God, we just pray that whatever that one is for us that sticks out to us to help us take our next step, whether it's that next step, whether it's finding a coach, or whether it's just having our mindset on you, God, we just pray that we, we actually live that out this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.